self-worth. Oh, can we talk about that for a second? How we're just straight up mean to ourselves. Am I right? How we just think everyone else has it all together. And don't even get me started at how Instagram (laughs) fuels this fire. How our perfectly filtered little squares look like we just have it all together, but no one does. I heard it said one time that we should talk to ourselves as we would our best friend. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I would never tell my best friend some of the mean things I tell myself. But I've made a lot of strides in that area, and so has the amazing Liz Carter, founder of College Moxie, empowering young women. She's out in California, but she empowers women in the college market, gosh, nationwide. And a lot of that is based in self-worth. So we're going to dive into self-worth today. I hope by the end of this episode, you're going to unlock your inner rock star. But first, I want to read for you the review of the week. This is from Kara. Kara says, I just entered my 20s, and this podcast has been a lifeline for me. God is using it so much. If you are in your 20s and you need something to listen to that's encouraging, this is the one. Gosh, Kara, that means so much. Thank you so much for that review. Your reviews are like fertilizer for podcasts. They help them grow. They help other girls to know about them. And I'm so thankful that you took the time to leave a review. And if you listening to this could hit pause for like 30 seconds, leave a quick review. I would love to read your review on our next episode. All right. Without further ado, here is the podcast. My name is Katie Bulmer. I'm a former heartbroken and hungover sorority girl who found out at the age of 23, a cute boyfriend and hunch punch won't actually fill my broken places. Shocker, I know. It turns out there's only one savior. After this realization, I met a youth pastor turned financial genius unlike any frat boy I ever dated. So I married him. Together, we have mentored teens and 20-somethings for over 15 years. We've learned a lot of the common themes, struggles, and ways we can help. So we're doing a podcast. Here it is. I had a friend ask me the other day, if you could have any job, what would it be? And my answer was what I get to do now. I get to travel to schools all over the place and share the message sorority girls can change the world. And I get to meet faces like yours and I get to hug them and I get to see girls light up when they realize there really is a different way to do Greek life. It just, it gives me so much joy. I'm booked up through September, but you guys, I would absolutely love to have a conversation about bringing this message to your school and maybe October or November, or maybe even to next semester. So just a quick rundown about what it is I speak on. I talk about how 15 years of working in marketing gave me the inside scoop to see firsthand how sorority women have a $100 million power of influence over the marketplace. I didn't make that number up. It is an actual dollar amount. I talk about this incredible trend-setting power and using that power for good. I talk about using those dollars to buy fair trade, to make a global impact. 
We talk about taking one social, one semester, and taking that man and woman power and bringing it to your community and serving. We talk about changing the dating world. Can I get an amen? And we also talk about the sisterhood that makes every great movement possible. Your founding sisters had incredible dreams of sisterhood, and I don't think we're too far gone. If you would like me to bring this message to your school, I have all the information you need at katiebulmer.life. Hey, Liz. Hi, Katie. Um, You guys, you're going to just love Liz as much as I do. She is a friend I met in the wonderful world of Instagram. She has (laughs) a heart for college women, and we just knew that we had to be best friends. So even though she's out across the country in California, we have just made a point to make contact as much as possible. But if people live under a rock and are not familiar with College Moxie and all the awesomeness that you're up to, give us a little bit about who you are. Hey, well, man, thanks for so much for having me, Katie. This is awesome. Um, about who I am. Mm, that's a long question. Long answer. Um, well, I have a background in acting. I started College Moxie because I have had a passion for instilling confidence and self worth in collegiate women for a long time. And I've gotten to know many of them over the years through volunteer work and um, finally just felt a sense of social responsibility to address some of the hurts and needs that I saw. And um, it just kind of took me on a whole new path and a whole new career path, really. So you know, obviously you did acting and did a lot of really cool stuff there. So bridges the gap for us between acting and your college ministry heart. (laughs) My, my upbringing experience was very, um, healthy and wonderful. And, um, I was really fortunate to grow up in a really close family. My freshman year in high school, my youngest brother was diagnosed with cancer and he ended up passing away in the middle of my senior year. And so I went to college right after that and, um, went to California, went to the university of Southern California where I didn't know anyone and nobody really knew that I was a hot mess just with a bow on it. And so I got a degree in acting. That was my plan after I graduated, that is what I did. But my sorority experience ended up really impacting me and giving me a support system away from home that I didn't even really know I needed. You know, that was at a time when depression and anxiety didn't really have uh, titles and weren't really talked about. And so the, the more I grew after college, the more I reflected and realized how much that time had meant to me. And I was asked to come back just as a local advisor and I started doing that. And I just realized kind of quickly that I was that person that women kind of shared their souls with within a handful of minutes sometimes. And I felt a lot of responsibility for what I did with those nuggets of life and, and deep thoughts and feelings that they were handing to me looking for guidance And so I continued to volunteer that led me to being in charge of risk management for, um, California, Arizona, and New Mexico through Pi Beta Phi. And then from there, you know, I just started to realize that patterns were repeating. Women were telling me the same things that were negatively impacting them on campus in a place where they're supposed to be 
living their best lives and they're paying tuition to be there. And, um, you know, I I have always loved acting. It's something I've done since I was young, but I just kind of got to the point where I felt like the effort reward ratio was higher and had more value for me when I was working with college women. And so I just kind of decided to take the leap and, um, make a career change. And, um, I really haven't looked back. That's huge. First of all, taking the leap. And I want to unpack that for a second, but before we do that, okay. So you dove into, was it called college moxie at the time when it first started? The first thing we did was our man panel about 10 years ago. And so it didn't really have a name, but when I decided that this needed to be a thing and people started requesting it on other campuses and, um, friends of mine who are well connected in, uh, the college world and the academic world were saying there was a need for this. Um, and I decided to actually start a nonprofit, um, it, it became college moxie and has always been. Okay. Tell me, I know what the man panel is. Cause we've talked about it. I think it's genius. Tell us what the man panel is. <laughs> okay. So the man panel is, uh, it's basically five hot guys in their twenties and we, uh, they are, they are awesome guys who are brave and, um, they are men who volunteer for us and, we set up a panel and the women in the audience can ask them anything they want to know about sex, dating, and hookup culture from their perspective. And they promise me and the audience that they will be honest with them. And it's a fabulous experience because some of the guys are really emotionally available. And I would say are are very evolved and, um, have really encouraging things to say. And, you know, sometimes some of them are a little more, um, immature. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for, for that word that that I want to say publicly. Um, yeah, are, are a little more immature and, you know, just have a lot of growth ahead of them and maybe don't even realize as things come out of their mouths that, um, they're, their intentions aren't always good and that they're, they're not always respectful. And so, um, it, it was just a, a really awesome event the first time we, we launched it because, you know, women showed up, they wanted to hear and the women submit things anonymously so that no one has to be embarrassed. Um, but the men are really courageous and, and they're honest and they say, listen, this is what I respect. This is what I don't if this is what I want, this is what I'll tell you. (laughs) You know, I mean, they really, um, they're really honest and I, I really appreciate their honesty and, and their willingness to volunteer their time. I think it's cool that you're creating like a safe space for lack of a better word to have those conversations. You know what I mean? And that Thank that's you. cool that, yeah, that you just intentionally, what, what are we doing here? Like what, what is important? What is important? What's valued? What's not valued? And I think that's a really cool idea. Um, if you're listening to this and you happen to see a video I did a few weeks ago about like asking guys, you know, in dating, our culture says, guys only want to hook up, but, but what is it that they really want? And we got some great answers. Anyway, that was all, all inspired by you, my friend Liz. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's so sweet. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. It was super fun. Okay. So what is college moxie today? College moxie is a community. It's a community of women supporting each other. 
And I like to say that we are women supporting women without bashing men. Um, there's enough work to be done simply within our own friendships and getting away from comparative culture and just simply believing in ourselves and looking at, at ways that we can change the world if we simply get on the same team and empower one another as well as ourselves. So, you know, we educate collegiate women on risks associated with campus culture. That is really our main purpose and equip them with tools to, to make change. You know, we just feel like conversation is so important and authentic conversation is so important and just stripping away those boundaries and the facade of, of feeling like appearance needs to be more important than what is real, which is, um, a big topic for me personally, just, um, thinking of how many of us are often raised and, um, you know, just having the courage to be honest about how we feel and things we've experienced and things that we wish maybe we'd done differently, just creating community. So a college moxie at the end of the day is a community. I love that. And a nationwide community at that, right? It is, it is. It's exciting. How many campuses are you in? Do you know? We have Elevate Groups, which is our small group curriculum that just gives women a safe space to talk about hard things on 45 campuses. And we are planting 20 College Moxie campus chapters this year. So we're really excited about that. These uh, groups have a four-person executive committee, and they will just be able to grow at the pace of their community and their university. The 20-year-old who's listening who, like, how do I get a part of this? Like, what is College Moxie and how do I bring it to my group of friends and my sorority or whatever? Yeah, so a couple of ways. So um, if women are interested in planting a campus chapter, we have an application process, and they can apply online through collegemoxie.org. There's a button that says bring a chapter to campus. And what that looks like is it's basically like a, like a campus club. And so they have a small executive committee. Um, and then instead of going through our elevate program in nine weeks, those chapters take the year to go through elevate. And in those off weeks, they are planning empowerment events for their entire community. And they're really fun. They're hands-on. They're designed to be low cost, high impact. And they're just designed to be a space where any woman on their campus can walk by and be like, wow, this is a place that's for me. This is a place that supports me. We desire for every woman, regardless of socioeconomic background, um, race, religion, identity. We want every woman to be able to see herself in this community and feel represented. It's really our main goal. It's a place where we encourage women to simply be love. We say throw up love on each other. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah, it's fun. And they are so excited about it. I'm so happy with the women that we've chosen this year. We had a lot of applicants, which was really exciting, but we needed to make some some tough decisions in order to make sure that, that we have the manpower to, um, give them the support that they need in this year of pioneering. And then the other way that people can bring college moxie to campus, either through their sorority or their panelinic or a different women's group is, um, it's through our empower speaker series and that's on our website as well. And 
basically all of our topics at the end of the day are about self-worth, but they address pressures of social media and body image issues and sexual assault and sexual regret, the sister conversation to sexual assault, which talks a lot about boundaries and filtered thinking. So, um, you know, all of the things that we address came out of the research that we did. We held focus groups around the country, just asking women, what are the biggest issues challenging you on campus today? And a lot of times I didn't have to say anything else. They had a lot to say. So it's, it's awesome to know that what we're doing is relevant to the needs that they have expressed. I love this. You've definitely done your homework and I love that you mentioned self-worth because, you know, it all boils down to that, right? You know, we can talk about the problem, but when you look at the problem behind the problem, it's almost always self-worth. So I know that you're doing some rock star things on campuses. Like I see it on social media. I know that girls are loving your curriculum and loving the studies and the Elevate program. Can you talk to me and maybe even like share a story of what, well, I guess I'm asking two questions. <laughs> what, first of all, tell us a story about like maybe a young woman who has gone through the curriculum and maybe discovered her self-worth. And then if you can define what would you say self-worth is and how we can help women. So we have women take a survey before they start Elevate and after they complete it. And so a lot of times the women that are going through Elevate, I don't know personally, but it's been exciting to see that a hundred percent of the women to date who have gone through elevate have said that the experience has increased their personal self-confidence. I think 96 or 97% said that they feel more equipped to make positive change on their campus. And I think 93% said that they are less likely to engage in high risk behavior, which I find so moving. Yeah, that's incredible. And that you have the, the statistics to show that too. That's amazing. But in the feedback surveys that we get, I am often humbled to tears in the things that they say afterwards. And one woman wrote that she felt like, and, and, and this was actually a woman that I already knew and had a lot of respect for. And she wrote that it helped her to think of herself differently and to have more respect for herself and for others. And that just really hit my heart in a, in a beautiful way. A lot of the feedback that we get, um, just talks about the aha moments that women had in having some self-realization. And honestly, I think just realizing what they are worth. You know, I actually was, I just spoke at a university and, um, the girl who came to pick me up, uh, at the airport was in an elevate group last year. And I did not know her personally, but she told me on the whole ride there, what a wonderful experience it had been and how she didn't know anyone in her elevate group before. And now they are just the best of friends. And someone had, broken up with their boyfriend the night before and called her and they drove around and went and got ice cream. And, you know, it just, it, it was such a sweet thing because it really it became the support system and the community where they can realize they're not alone, whatever they're struggling with. I think there are only five basic emotions. And at the end of the day, we've all felt them all. We, they just might be in totally different circumstances. And the more we can understand the similarities, the more grace I think we'll have for our differences. Hashtag drop the mic. <laughs> that is so good. 
Oh, thanks. So true. So to your question on self-worth, I don't know that we know necessarily how to define it and, and who has it and what does it look like? And mm. since so much of your curriculum helps women just elevate their self-worth, which to your term, elevate, yeah. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, if you could just unpack that and maybe even, you know, give a little help on how girls can find it. I guess I personally would define self-worth as how much we choose to love ourselves. And I would also say spiritually that that comes down to how much we believe that we are loved and how much we allow others to love us. How much, how brave are we to let love in? Because I don't know that it's possible to have self-worth without knowing grace. I see self-worth as confidence. I also think that that comes down to trust and, you know, do we, do we trust that we were beautifully made? Do we believe that God's thoughts for us outnumber the sand? I just think shame is such a tool of the enemy. If Satan can keep us in shame, we will never reach our greatest potential. And so the fact that women often tend to process in silo and feel like whatever it is that we're going through, we're the only one going through it. If we can just sit in a little corner of shame and believe the lies that nobody else understands, if I was brave enough to tell them they would reject me, they wouldn't understand. Not only are we limiting our own abilities, but we're also limiting those of other women. Because we are simply perpetuating that lie that we are alone. If I'm not brave enough to tell you, my friend, Katie, you know what? I've been struggling with this and I'm not feeling awesome about this. And knowing that you are a safe friend and you are a safe place to do that, then I'm not honoring our relationship. In my opinion, I'm not honoring womanhood because there's a chance that you'd also needed to hear that simply as much as I needed to express it to allow that to sit in the space of our friendship and build us both up and give you an opportunity to encourage me. Oh girl, this is so good. (laughs) So part of, part of our elevate program every week has a different topic and every week ends with a challenge for the group. And the, the challenges are associated with that week's topic. And one of the challenges is encourage 10 women that you feel intimidated by this week. Why are we assuming that that woman doesn't need encouragement? And why are we assuming that we are less than capable of giving that to her? Because if we just go through life, putting people in boxes and making assumptions, the way that we rank things, you know, I've always been a little fascinated by Christian culture and how we kind of rank sins as if we're, we're better Christians or we're better people if we don't deal with these, but let's just not really talk about these. Um, I think, I think that's human nature. And I think that it's ingrained in us from a young age to figure out where we're better than others in order to find our self-worth. And I think that's totally backwards. I think our self-worth has to come from knowing we're beautifully flawed, not that there's this expectation of perfection. Mm. In my presentation that I do on pressures of social media and effects of social media on mental health, I have a slide that simply says, perfect isn't real. Oh, that's so good. And I think we all need to be reminded of that almost every day, right? Because somehow we feel like this is the expectation for us. And as women, we not only need to be perfect, but we need to appear perfect and we need to be in a perfect little package and we need to be the perfect size and the perfect weight and have the perfect hair. And I mean, I have to tell you, that's, that's an issue that I had with media and being in that industry because your worth 
is based on that. Oh, that's tough. It is. It can be. It can be tough personally. You're speaking to my heart. I'm an Enneagram three. Do you know what Enneagram you are? No. What is this? I'm an Enneagram three, which we're the achiever, which means we're all the time. Mm. Yeah. Like looking for our worth and what we can achieve. And you know, it's people think like, oh, they're just always looking for applause. Like, no, we, we, we don't feel worthy unless we have achieved something, unless we like, you know, the second place is the first loser. Like (laughs) Enneagram threes are like, we always have to like be the best. And it's, it's stupid and it's exhausting, but it's like, we get our our self-worth tied up in that. Having to remind, remind myself daily, like how beautifully flawed I am. First place is never the goal for him. He just wants me to be me. And like, that is first place, just being me. And so anyway, you're speaking to my heart right now. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yes. And he does. He does just want us to be us. I was talking to a woman at an Ivy league school and she was telling me just about the pressures and the expectations. And we had an incredible talk about how, you know, there, there's kind of this stress addiction and it, it kind of reminds me when I was in high school, there was a group of girls that all together kind of developed eating disorders. It, it sadly just kind of became the trend within their friend group. Very sadly. I think that's kind of evolving today to where if you're not stressed out, then you're not working hard enough. And if you're not at the end of your rope, then you are not working or you are not enough. And today I think that there is a bit of, um, a community that is built around being stressed out sometimes for women in college. There's an exercise I do in one of my workshops. It's a silent movement exercise. And so one side of the room is yes. And one side of the room is no. And I just read off a series of statements and women go to whichever side identifies with them. So it might be, I like pizza. It might be, I'm a morning person. Starts out with simple things. It dives a little deeper. One of the questions that I like to ask is there are things about my body that if I could change, I would. And I don't know if it makes me sadder that almost every woman tends to move to that side, or if you can physically see the discomfort and potential shame in the women that didn't go to that side. There's, there's pressure to have criticisms about ourselves. And I think sometimes we're, we're taught that if we like ourselves and we love ourselves and we accept ourselves and embrace ourselves, that somehow that means we're arrogant or we're vain. And why are we putting those labels on self-love? Huh? So yeah, we're shamed for love. We say, I want to love myself only myself, but that's true. If you were to stand out in front of your peers and say, I love everything about myself, they'd be like, uh, okay, weirdo. (laughs) Right. And why? Yeah. Why? Oh my gosh. This is so good. So you said something earlier that I want to point out. I have a friend who's a counselor and they have a term for this. Like when you say, you know, I'm struggling with this or, um, I have an eating disorder. I don't don't know, whatever it may be, but you are the one who's brave enough to go first. They just call it the gift of going first. And Mm. I think that's beautiful. And like being the one who's like, you know, I, I do have body issues or, or I'm proud of my body. God bless. I hope that we start saying that more, but yeah, just being, I guess I'm just like pointing out that, that, that is a gift when yeah. you like, I'm sure you've seen it time and time again in your small groups, but being the one who's brave enough to be like, I don't have it all figured out. Um, I struggle with this. I struggle with that, whatever it may be. Like it truly is a gift to those who are around you and you have no idea who might be like in chains waiting for someone to hand, you're handing them a lock by being the one who goes first. And I just think that's incredible. Mm. 
I do too. I'm glad you shared that. When we're training our Elevate leaders, you know, we've realized that our most successful groups have leaders who are willing to be vulnerable and who are willing to say, this has been hard for me in this area, or this is something that I've, that I've struggled with. And, um, just kind of leading by example there and not having a teaching presence. You know, I think anytime someone is like, so what are you all struggling with? (laughs) You know, I don't think anybody wants to be like, Oh, I want to share my deepest, darkest stuff while you just sit there on your throne. You know, (laughs) that's not community. Yeah, for sure. So I think, yeah, it's, it's really, it's brave to go first for real. Okay. So 15 years of college ministry, right? Yeah. Roughly. Yeah. You could call it that. And that's about how long I've been doing it too. So I'm sure you, like I have noticed a lot of common themes. Can you note maybe, maybe some of the common themes that you've seen in the struggles in college women? A feeling of not being enough, a feeling of realizing that other people don't always have our best interests in mind. Sexual regret is a big one. And I think a lot of times it's also just the pressure of being called an adult all of a sudden. I've had a lot of women cry to me their senior years because they don't know what they want to do. And there's all this pressure to graduate and have a job that somehow is your new career as opposed to a job. And I think some women don't feel permission to change their majors. And I've had women tell me this is what I'm studying because it's what my mom thinks that I need to do. And I think college is is a hard time because all of a sudden it's away from home. We're still kind of kids, but we're being called adults. We're being labeled as adults with responsibilities of adults, Um, but not necessarily any different than we were a month ago when we were called a kid, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot, a lot runs in, in the theme of not, not being enough or believing the lie that that, um, a relationship will fix everything. Oh, that's my favorite lie. <laughs> yeah. I see it all the time. And I, I guess maybe cause I can relate to it. I was the same way. Like I only need a boy for my happily ever after. And you know, the whole Jerry Maguire, like you complete me. <laughs> no man has ever completed any woman or vice versa. You know, no woman has ever completed every man. It, we're all broken human beings in need of a savior and broken human beings can't fix broken human beings. And, um, our romance culture has confused that so much because romance is cute and it is exciting. And we can certainly, you know, compliment each other in a, in a marriage or in a relationship, but to complete each other is just crazy talk. <laughs> it's just never going to happen. And, and, Oh, I can't say enough about how our romance culture has, you know, it, it wasn't in too recent history, maybe 200 years ago, someone's daughter was changed exchanged for someone's goat. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not saying we should get back to that, but we've gotten to where this like one person and I'm going to, you know, chase the land and the sea to find this one person and who's going to make all my dreams come true. When in reality, marriage is two broken people who are working to love each other. Anyways, you can't just find someone to make all your dreams come true is all I'm saying. Oh, girl, I totally agree. And I think when we get into that space where that becomes the goal, it can be really dangerous because we have such a higher tendency to then maximize people's positive qualities and minimize their negative ones because the negatives don't align with the goal. And I think that that sometimes is how women end up in situations that are not serving them in relationships that are not serving them. 
I like that you say not serving them. Basically, they're dating a jerk. <laughs> You're right. And I, I like how you come at that so bluntly because, yeah, it's accurate. I mean, we, we do a lot of work on language and just making sure that we're coming from a space of empowering women to have their own aha moments about things rather than labeling it. But sometimes it just needs to be said that he is, he is a ding dong and, you know, or, or we could just simply say he has a lot of room for growth and we believe that you are not capable of growing that for him. And that perhaps you should let him do that growth on his own And if you still have these feelings five or 10 years from now, you all can reassess. (laughs) And listen, no one is beyond repair, but it's true. Like a woman can't fix him and vice versa. So to hope that, oh, I'm going to fix him. No, no sister. He needs to fix himself. He needs a date with a counselor and to get right with his mama. Like this isn't your job. Like you're not his savior. So anyway, yes and amen to everything you just said. I want you to dream with me for a second. Ooh, I like this. Okay. In a perfect world where women have incredible self-worth and they look at the mirror and they just say, I am beautifully and wonderfully made and I am going to go about into this world today and be awesome and do my awesome self. And that was just, that was the norm. And everyone had just the incredible self-worth. What do you think, what do you see could happen? Like, I guess I'm getting to, I believe this generation is ready and ripe for movements of change. But the problem behind the problem behind the problem is in this, this ugly, gnarled, you know, way we see ourselves. So in a perfect world, if women had incredible self-worth, what do you see could happen? Absolutely anything. We would have no need for a women's movement. I think we would have drastically fewer mental health concerns and issues. I think everything would be different. If women simply love themselves and recognized where we are similar and therefore had more grace for each other, everything would be different. We, w- we wouldn't be fighting with men for status. We wouldn't be fighting each other for men. If women did not, if we, if none of us struggled with self-worth, then our perspective would be completely clear because we wouldn't be filtering our thoughts and our beliefs through the what ifs, through the insecurities, through the fear of judgment. We would simply have clarity. We would make better choices for ourselves. We would be better friends to one another. We would simply celebrate each other's wins rather than allowing them to somehow make us feel less than. I think the entire world would be different if women simply had self-worth. The world would be completely different if we had, if women had self-worth. The entire world would be different, but it has to happen collectively. It can't be just some of us because otherwise we're still ranking this comparative culture and living in comparative culture and and ranking things and, and allowing someone else's success to make us feel less than, and not fully being able to celebrate another woman's wins because we're too self-reflective and saying, well, if she accomplished that, why didn't I, as opposed to saying our paths are different. I'm excited for her. This is what she's intended to do. I'm going to focus on what I'm intended to do, but no one's accomplishments diminish anyone else's. If we truly have self-worth collectively as women. Preach. I couldn't have said that better. That's so good. Oh my gosh. That's the world I want to live in, Katie. Me too. I want us to get there because there, at the end of the day, there would be so much less hurt. 
in the world, there'd be so much less misinterpretation of one another and allowing insecurities to build filters around our beliefs that are simply limiting to our abilities, to God's plans for us, to places that he wants us to step out and be bold and risk failure. If we, if we don't connect our self-worth to our success or our failures, then it, it takes away the risk, right? It's simply, I'm going to do what I feel I'm supposed to do. And if it works, awesome. And if it doesn't, I'm going to keep trying or I'm going to go a different way about it, but not allowing it to affect our belief of who we are. I believe, you know, we talk all day long about, um, foster care and abortion and kids who grow up without daddies and kids who grow up in abusive homes. What if in an ideal world, since we're dreaming here, all children were born to mommies and daddies who loved each other, which is a problem behind a problem. And then back before this problem behind the problem is self-worth because women, as we just discussed, are looking to feel worthy and looking to feel loved in the arms of a man. I mean, I know that's not a hundred percent of women, but it is a large majority and they're looking to feel worthy in the arms of a man. And maybe sometimes, unfortunately, that is just for one night and children are born into homes where daddies are not present or daddies are gone, you know, whatever the case may be, or unwanted children, which just repeats this terrible and toxic cycle. And I just think it all boils down to how we look at ourselves in the mirror and how we define our worth and knowing we're worthy before we look for a partner and look for the, our, you know, completeness in the arms of a man. I just think that it would avoid a whole lot of crap in the process. I agree because if we know that we are loved, we don't have to seek it somewhere else. It, we can be, I heard an analogy once that, that a relationship needs to be two glasses of water that are both full. Yes. Because if we're not, then we're just going to constantly be trying to fill each other up while emptying ourselves. And we've got to be two healthy humans making a decision to coexist and complement each other's lives, as opposed to expecting someone else to fulfill us or having someone else expect us to fulfill them. We're not designed to do that. I don't know that we're capable of doing that without losing our own mental health. Oh, so true. If, if we would all have that self-worth and simply know that we are worthy of a healthy love, regardless of what we've ever done, regardless of, of things we wish we could change, of regrets, if, if we can simply embrace grace and know that we are worthy of a beautiful, perfect love. You know, if we accept the love that God gives us freely, which I think is incredibly hard to feel like I don't have to earn that. I, well, surely I can do something to make it a little more equal on my end. You know, I mean, that's, that's about us. It's not about God, but to realize that he simply loves us because he created us yeah. and that there is nothing we can do to get outside of his love for us. In the moments that we embrace simply that, there's really nothing we can't accomplish. And therefore, we are going to be healthier human beings and contribute healthier things to relationships and therefore become healthier parents to children, healthier grandparents, healthier aunts and uncles, whatever our roles are. But I think the family unit might 
come back to strength if we, the adults in the situation, were healthier and loved ourselves more and therefore had a healthier love for one another. And taking it back to women in our 20s, stopped competing, stopped comparing just simply said, I am loved. I am beautiful the way I am. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I am beautifully flawed. And so are you. And let's, let's embrace this and let's, let's cheer for one another. Let's be on the same team. I'm nodding my head so hard. It's going to fall off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it gets me excited. It just, there's so much of the world I want to change. I said this in a speaking event a few months ago and you know, it was probably TMI that I think sometimes people are just getting used to on my part, but you know, almost every day I wake up and I look in the mirror and I realize I am one day closer to death. And it just lets me know today there are things to do. I have things to accomplish. You know, I don't have children. I'm not going to have children. And as soon as my husband put the ring on my finger and I committed to marrying him, I started thinking about what is my legacy going to look like? What do I want it to look like? There is a large footprint that I want to leave on this earth Mm. in helping women know their worth Mm. and knowing that they are loved and that there is so much more that they can accomplish if we can all get outside of the things that we allow to bring us down, whether it's circumstances, whether it's our imperfections, whether it's what someone else has, if we can let go of those things, there is really nothing that we can't accomplish. And if we can do it together, the world is ours. Amen, sister. (laughs) That is so good. I feel like you don't have to have children. You have thousands of them nationwide as your daughters, you're rearing up to be incredible self-worth rock stars. Oh, well, thank you. I, I agree. And I love that. I have two stepchildren that I am really grateful for. And it's been really fun to form those relationships because they are adults. And I have nephews that I'm really close to. But I think constantly that I would not be in a position to be able to do the work that I'm doing with college women if I had littles that were completely dependent on me. I wouldn't be able to do it on the same scale. And there's a lot that I want to do. That's awesome. Um, well, I usually ask what advice would you give your younger friends, but I feel like you kind of just nailed that with that last question. <laughs> that was amazing. Um, can you also maybe suggest any books or podcasts or trainings or anything that maybe have helped you that you would like to recommend to your younger friends? Yes. Yeah, so, um, there is, there's an, a new author. I'm not sure if you will have heard of her. Her name is Brene Brown. Have you heard of this woman? I have. She is incredible. And I, um, it's funny because when I started college moxie and people would say, Oh, what do you do? And what is this about? And I'd say, Oh, you know, we help women with self-worth and help them to love themselves and know that they know their power and stand in their power. And, you know, anytime I would explain what college moxie is, people would say, do you know, have you heard of Brene Brown? And I'd be like, no, I haven't. Who is that? they'd be like, Oh, you should read her. And I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. Whatever. Um, a lot of people have book suggestions and I've never been a big reader. Um, yay to, um, audiobooks because that's what I do when I drive now. But about the fifth person that mentioned Brene Brown, I was like, I got to look this person up. And I was speechless. It was like a punch in a gut. Her first Ted talk that I watched, she literally put language 
to all of the beliefs that I have had and tried to express throughout my life about shame and vulnerability and courage. And it just, I was like, oh my goodness, to, to know that someone has put the time into developing data for these things that I know are universal truths was just awesome and incredible. So I, I love her stuff. I have been reading some Rachel Hollis lately, man. She said something that really, really just got me out of my seat that boys are taught to chase their dreams and girls are taught to chase the boys. And I was like, man, isn't that the truth? And I do, I do think and, and hope and pray that we are getting away from that now, but I think it's definitely still ingrained in our society that we need a man to complete us as opposed to partnership is, is a beautiful gift when it is right. And when it is healthy, just FYI, Brene Brown has some incredible Ted talks and uh, I think gifts of imperfection and daring greatly. Yes. Or two of her biggest, she has more books. And then Rachel Hollis is, let me see, girl, wash your face and what's the new one? Girl, stop apologizing. So in case you are unfamiliar with these incredible rock star women, go look them up. They have some great stuff. Um, okay. Liz, Assuming everyone is going to want to start a college moxie chapter at their school and become just incredible self-worth, you know, beautiful women that they already are, but realizing it and therefore changing the world in the process, how can they get in touch with you and find out more about all the things you have going on? So collegemoxie.org has a lot of great information about who we are and how to start chapters and things like that. We're also launching a blog in the next couple of months where our blog posts will be submitted by college women just from different perspectives and in their experiences. So if anyone's interested in getting involved with that, we're going to be launching that and, and having guest writers a lot. And so our website is, is a great place for information, but if people want to connect with me, they can just DM me on Instagram at the Liz Carter and Liz has two Z's. People also DM through the college moxie account on Instagram. And if that's specifically to me, then our social media team will make sure that that gets to me too. So I'm pretty reachable. Yay. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Thank you for taking the time and just sharing all of your knowledge and awesomeness with our listeners. Well, thank you for having me, Katie. I just love that we are out to change the world together and bring along as many young people as we can, because we know that they have a passion to do it. They just need the tools and the roadmap. And I feel like that's what we're providing. And it's awesome to see them get excited about being able to leave a legacy and to do good in the world. This is so fun. You're the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, man. I hope that you loved that conversation as much as I did. We we just dove right in, right? We talked about all the things. I am so thankful for Liz, and I'm so thankful for this podcast. When this started, I really didn't know what I was doing or getting into. Typical Enneagram 3. Raise your hand if you can relate. But it's been such a surprising blessing, and I'm so thankful for the feedback you guys are giving me. But one of the interesting things I've discovered is there's no like comment box on podcast, so I don't really know what you're liking or not liking unless you let me know. So if something resonated with you today, I would love it if you would just take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your social media. If you tag me at katiebulmer.life, I'll be happy to share it as well. And I love your feedback. What conversations would you like to hear more about? What did you love about this episode? 
If you didn't love this episode, then just forget everything I just said about sharing on social. (laughs) But for real, I cherish, truly, truly, you will hear all of my friends in real life tell you this, I cherish your feedback. I have a folder in the pictures on my phone called Encouragement, where I screenshot when you guys share something with me that resonates. Because it just means so much to know that anything I do here matters. And to be able to pour into a younger me, that's what I'm here for. Thank you so much for joining with me today, and I hope that you enjoyed some truth for your 20s.